You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. What up, Mill Sunday Schoolers? Uh, greet some people around you and then turn to the book of Matthew in your Bible. Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust can destroy it and where thieves break in and steal it. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure, there your heart is also. Today we're going to talk about the Bible, how it is a spiritual treasure, how the truth of God is a spiritual treasure. And so let's pray this morning as we start off. God, we thank you right now for your word to us. God, we thank you for the Bible And that in the Bible is life and truth because, God, it it reflects who you are. It's it's your book that you've given to us to figure things out, to figure you out, to figure spiritual matters out, to figure freedom out and freedom in Jesus Christ. And so, God, we thank you for the book. We love you. God, we praise you. And everybody screamed? Amen! Woo! Yeah! Um... Uh, it was like last Christmas, I got this sweet gift from my parents, kind of like a stocking stuffer gift. It was a book called uh, 501 Top Movies or Must-See Movies of All Time. And so it's more like an encyclopedia book of all these movies throughout, like, you know, it's all of all history, classical stuff, and uh, like uh, Charlie Chapman's on there. There's, there's movies on there. They must see movies like, uh, Casablanca or, uh, uh, Gone with the Wind. Titanic's on there for all you ladies. Breakfast at Tiffany's on there. Top Gun is on there. Uh, all the sweet must see movies of history. And, uh, one of the movies on there is, uh, and, and I've been just kind of like since last Christmas, I've been slowly checking off movies like, yes, I saw this film. I've completed something today. I've seen this movie. <laughs> And so I'm checking off these films and kind of watching films that I probably would never see if I didn't have this book saying they were really good. And one of the movies I saw was an old black and white film uh, made in the 1940s called The Treasure of Sierra Madre. Anybody seen it? Only a few people. Probably. It's like your grandparents' days. But... Um, in it is a guy named Humphrey Bogart, the actor. There's like three characters in this movie, and they are kind of uh, lonesome, kind of scoundrel-ish guys, kind of kind of losers, but not really. They'll do anything for a buck. They're very poor, and uh, and basically these three guys that'll do anything for money. They're down and out. They decide to go to the Sierra Madres, which is a mountain range in Mexico. Go up to these mountains, go into this range, and mine it for gold. And and so they're mining gold, and they run into all these hard Mexican mountains, deserts. They run into some Mexican police that are corrupt. And uh, there's that famous scene where the Mexican police are there. And Humphrey Bogart's like, how do we know you're the Mexican police? Where are your badges? And it's like this serious, intense scene. And in that serious, intense scene, one of the little Mexican guys says, badges? We don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> have you heard that line before? Of course you have. Your parents have probably said it. Somebody said it to you, and you're like, what's wrong with you? That's, they're just quoting a line from a really old movie. But that movie has this idea of these three guys in Mexico, despite all these challenges, the corrupt cops, there's this war going on, the mountains, the desert, etc., etc. They finally are able to mine gold, and they find gold. And the, these three guys, in their own way, in each one of their own little ways, their psychology of their personalities, they go insane because of the money that they found. And they, they find enough gold 
enough money to last them the rest of their life. So they're millionaires. In that, you know, in the 1800s when this film was trying to represent, they would have been billionaires. They have enough money for the rest of their life for sure. And yet they're still addicted to finding more gold. We got to find more. We got to find more. We got to find more. They're addicted to this finding treasure in this, the hard ranges of the Sierra Madres. And what I find so interesting is just that idea of being addicted to finding gold. And that's, I mean, obviously in the movie, the earthly idea of finding gold and being rich has to do with greed and, and just being psychologically insane because you want to find gold and you'll do anything to find it. But I think I, I thought of that movie as I was preparing this sermon today and this lecture today because I think if we can get addicted to finding spiritual gold, like those three guys in the Sierra Madres, then then no one has to tell us to read the Bible. Someone, you're not reminding yourself to read the Bible. It's not a checklist thing. You're just addicted to finding gold in the Bible. And so that's, that's kind of big picture what this lecture this morning is going to be about. Sound good? Yes. Thank you. Um, first, before we jump right into that, we have some announcements for you. If you're newish to the Mill Sunday School, we want you to stand up. Just kidding. <laughs> Don't you hate that? Like, why would a church do that to somebody? If you're new, stand up and tell us all about yourself. There's like, uh. You want to hear a quick story? This is totally off. I, we probably don't have time for this. But the first time I ever went to a Christian youth group, they had me stand up. And they were just asking silly questions. And they asked me if I had an any or an Audi. And I, I had never heard that phrasing before. And I was just like. It was so extremely embarrassing. Everybody's laughing and looking at me. And I honestly thought in that moment that it, that it was something, this is going to sound dirty. I probably shouldn't say it. What am I doing? I, I, in my head, I thought it was something sexual, that they were like, any or Audi? They're, why are they asking me? What the heck does that mean? And I was just so embarrassed. And I turned red, as I'm turning red right now, man, I shouldn't have <laughs> said that story. Where was I? Welcoming visitors. All we, we don't want you to stand up and embarrass yourself. <laughs> that was a waste of a minute. Uh, we want you to just fill out this little card. It's got your name, address on it. It's, by the way, the same one that you filled out at the mill. Uh, so if you filled one of these out at the mill on a Friday night, you don't have to fill out one again. But if you do, we'll give you the same gift over again. And uh, just as our way of saying thanks for coming and uh, thanks for filling out our card and giving us your info and stuff like that. So there's that. Uh, all this month, we are meeting as the Mill Sunday School. Thanksgiving is just a couple weeks away. We are meeting Thanksgiving weekend. So keep coming to Sunday School all month long. All month strong. Uh, your third announcement is a small group called <gasps> Remade. Is Ramil in here? I heard, I heard a woo. He's probably in here. Uh, Ramil leads a small group on Wednesday nights. He's the, he's the guy back there with a sweet scarf and a, and a, and a red shirt. He's a good looking guy. Hi, hi Ramil. He's single, by the way. Uh, ladies. <laughs> I don't know what's gotten into me. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, Ramil leads a small group called Remade, and Remade is kind of patterns itself off Sunday school. So as we're talking about how to read, understand, and apply the Bible all this month, his small group is continuing those discussions and stuff like that. So you can go to his house and find out more about it. There's pamphlets or something. Uh, just find out about the small group called Remade. And uh, I think that's it for announcements. Let's, let's get on with it before I embarrass myself some more, shall we? All right. Let's do a little review. In your notes here, if you, if you got one of these, uh, you could open it up. And review is how to get hungry. 
And we talked about this idea all this month. We've, if you've been here, you know that we've been talking about how to get hungry to read your Bible. Because what I don't want you to hear from me is just a checklist of me just saying, you've got to read your Bible. If you don't read your Bible, you're a bad person. If you don't read your Bible, you're a horrible, horrible Christian. I don't want to say that. What I want to say is the other, other side of that. I want to help you, encourage you to get hungry to read this book. Because if you're hungry to read this book, then you'll read it. And it's not a matter of finding a checklist or doing something you have to do or doing something that you know is good. But if you're hungry to read it, you'll read it and it's good and you'll know that it's good. So we talked about those four points. Today I'm going to give you a fifth point on how to get hungry. And uh, so I'm going to add a point uh, about how to get hungry. But these are the points. I'm going to go over them very quickly. If you want some more about these points, you could podcast either last week's or the week's before's talk at the Mill Sunday School. And number one is don't eat junk food. Do you remember that point? And, and this is, we're talking all spiritual right now. I don't want to confuse you. And you're like, what? How does, <laughs> how does getting, anyways. <laughs> don't eat spiritual junk food. And what I mean by that is there's lots of things that in our life that are either sin or maybe they're just wastes of time that we fill ourselves up on. We get excited about doing. Don't fill yourself up with junk food. Things in your life that you know you probably shouldn't be doing. And as, as you put those things aside, you're going to get hungrier and hungrier to do the important things like reading the Bible. So number one, don't eat junk food. If you're writing these down, number two is eat healthy meals every day. Do you remember that point? Eat healthy meals every day. And what I mean by that, of course, spiritually, is read the Bible every day. If you read a half hour, an hour long, uh, 15 minutes, if you're eating a, a chunk of the Bible, and that we're talking all figuratively, all, all spiritually right now, if you're reading the Bible a good 15 minutes, 20 minutes, or an hour every day, then that hunger is just going to be inside of you. And tomorrow, you're going to be like, man, I've got to read the Bible because I'm hungry to do so. So that's number two. Number three is eat for two. Do you remember that point? This idea of, you know, get together in a group, go to Bible studies, and you don't just have to read the Bible by yourself. You can, you can read the Bible with a friend and talk about it. You can encourage them to read. If you're at a point where you're like, man, I want to lead a small group, what a perfect opportunity to lead a small group is just get together with some friends and just read the book of Romans, read the book of John together. That's a great thing to do. So eat for two, read the Bible with other people, talk to other people about how you're doing in the word. Number four, this one is uh, one that I think, I think is really important. It's, it's helped me. Number four is don't ignore the hunger pains. Don't ignore the hunger pains. That's number four. And that, that, what that means is if you feel like, man, I want to read the Bible right now. Don't do something else. Go read the Bible. All this week, Erica, my wife, has been waking up in the middle of the night and just feeling like she wants to read the Bible. And since I've been preaching about not ignoring the hunger pains, she's been not ignoring the hunger pains and getting up and reading the Bible. Isn't that cool? Don't I have a good wife? And so she'll, she'll come back in the middle of the night and like, where have you been? Reading the Bible. That's so precious. Everybody say, oh. Yeah, it's you know, precious. When I go to bed, I usually stay there until my alarm goes off, but whatever. Point number five. This is the new point. If you're taking notes, this is the point that we haven't talked about yet. Number five is get addicted to finding gold. Get addicted to finding gold. Like those dudes in the movie, the Sierra Madre. Get addicted to finding gold. Finding 
treasures in the Bible, reading paragraphs and saying, wow, God, this is written right to me. This is amazing. I love this. Give me more treasure. This is amazing. If you find treasure and find it on a consistent basis, you'll get addicted to finding treasure, spiritual treasure in the Bible. And so today what I really want to talk about is how you find, how, do you, how you go about mining the Bible. It's like uh, that saying, uh, teach a man, to f- I always mess it up. Give a man, is it give a man a fish? Feed, yeah, there it is. Give a man a fish, feed him for the day. Teach a man a fish, feed him for the rest of his life. Have you heard that phrase before? <laughs> One of my fishing buddies was uh, fishing, you know, there's a, like a little lake on, uh, uh, what's it, like Nevada, kind of in the ghetto part of town, Nevada, and uh, Garden of the Gods, kind of kitty corner from like the UCCS. Have you ever seen that little pond there? One of my fishing buddies, I go fly fishing, I have fly fishing buddies. One of my fly fishing buddies was fishing in that pond. It's kind of in a ghetto. And it, before he had caught a fish, uh, this homeless guy came up to him and was like, you have any change? And he's like, no. So, <laughs> and then the homeless guy was like, well, have you caught any fish? I'll take your fish. And, and he was like, no, nah, sorry, man, I haven't caught anything yet. And then he retells the story. He's telling me the story. He's like, I should have taught him how to fish. It's the whole proverb. Why didn't I just teach him how to fish? I would have fed him for his life. <laughs> He was so mad at himself that the parable came, you know, he could have, anyways. Anyways, that's what we're talking about today as far as spiritually, figuratively mining this book and teaching you how to mine this book so that you can find spiritual treasure for the rest of your life. And to do that, I want to give you two big vocabulary terms. They are on your notes. They are big words. They are huge words. They are $5 words. Exegesis and hermeneutics. I think hermeneutics is spelled wrong, though. Yeah, I think it is. Is that how you're supposed to spell it? It's probably spelled wrong. I'm a horrible speller, so that, that looks wrong to me, but I'm a horrible speller, so that may be right. But anyways, <clears throat> exegesis and hermeneutics. Let me, let me define these two terms for you. Exegesis, if you want to put what that word means, if you're taking notes, uh, this exegesis means, what does it say? What does it say? You could write that down. Exegesis is what does it say? And so exegesis, from the Greek, it means uh, ex is out of. Whenever ex is in front of a word, and it's kind of a Greek word, ex means to come out of. And hegetai means to lead. And so you're leading out of the text. You're finding out what it says. And uh, you might be reading a passage in Scripture like if, 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 if somebody's in here and you, you've never really read the Bible, uh, usually the book that most people say to start out with, um, there's a lot, of, like, a lot of great books in the Bible, but one that's very simple in story form that has lots of salvational stuff in it is the book of John. Yeah, it, maybe that was the first book you read when you became a Christian or something. The book of John is a great book. And so you might be reading this, this, this passage and to what exegesis means, if you're doing exegesis, you know what you're doing? You're reading, you're rereading it, you're saying, what is this saying? This is something spiritual, this is something that's deep. What does this, what's it saying? To know what it means, you have to realize what it's saying first, right? I mean, think about it, it's kind of obvious. So exegesis is what does it say? And I like the way uh, Brady Boyd usually does exegesis. I think he, do, he spends weeks on his messages and goes into the Greek and Hebrew, et cetera, et cetera. But he was speaking on, remember when he did a series on grace? He kept doing the same joke, which I, I thought was hilarious every single time he did it. Um, but he kept on saying, uh, he, he talked to, he, there was a verse that said, and Jesus forgives us of all of our sins. And he would say, now I've done a lot of exegesis on the word all. And you know what it means? 
It means all of the sin. <laughs> and so he keep, yeah, anyways, I like, the way, I like the way Brady does that. And it's, it's, it's what does the passage say? Let's look at it. Let's read it. Let's read it again. Have you ever read like a, a, a chapter of Scripture and then gone back like a week later and got something totally new out of it? Raise your hand if you've, that ha- that's happened to you. You've, you've gone to a passage and got something new out of it. That's, that's what, I mean, that's what's so cool in my mind about the Bible is that it holds spiritual truth. So exegesis, how, well, excuse me, what the Bible, what the passage is saying. Just read it, read it again. What's it saying? Figure out the words. It's, it's talking about something spiritual. Hermeneutics, are you ready for this? Hermeneutics, what it means. So write that down. Hermeneutics means answering the question of what it means. Have you ever heard of the Greek god uh, Hermes when you're studying mythology? I had to study mythology when I was in high school. And there's the Greek god Hermes. He had the wings on the helmet, the wings on the heels, and he was the messenger. He was the messenger god, delivering messages from God to the humans. And uh, in the same way, we kind of get our word hermeneutics from a similar uh, root word, this idea of uh, bringing the message from God to us. And so hermeneutics would be sitting down and, and figuring out, okay, what does this mean? I know what it says. I realize what it's saying. I understand the words. I understand the paragraph. I understand what it says. But what does it mean? What does it mean for me? And when you do that, you're doing hermeneutics. And the reason for exegesis and hermeneutics is this sentence that I'm about to say. I said it last week. It may have shocked you last week, but here it is. If you want to write it down, it's a good sentence. I will explain it. Are you ready? Because if you're not ready, I will not say this sentence. Are you ready? The sentence is, the Bible is not written to us. The Bible's written for us. And what I mean by that is, is this is an ancient book and it's not written to us. Like you could look at the letter of 1 Corinthians. Who's that letter written to? Corinthians. Is it written to New Life Church 2008? No, but I'm not saying that it's, oh, the Bible's just an old book. It's not valuable to us. I'm saying that the Bible is written for us. And so exegesis, hermeneutics, how we read the Bible, what it says, then what it means is important because it's not written to us, but it is written for us. We mine the Bible, we get gold out of it because we know what it says and then we know what it means. Sound good? All right, here's what I want you to, uh, to think about and then maybe discuss. And, and hopefully uh, it could be just a fun discussion. But I, we, we think at the Mill Sunday School, discussion's kind of important to take a little break from me screaming at you and for you to think and talk amongst yourself. Sound fun? Here's the question, and, and we'll just do it for like uh, two minutes. So turn to some people around you and ask uh, the question, what are some wrong ways to read the Bible? It's a pretty simple question, and maybe you're guilty of reading it like that. And maybe someone's like, here's how not to read the Bible, and you're like, man, I read it just like that. I am a bad person. Just kidding. So the question is, what are some things, when you're reading, how is a wrong way to read it? You know what I mean? Figure it out. Go ahead out of here.
Give you like uh, 60 seconds to to wrap up or uh, your conversations. check um let's let's pull together we'll continue talking about this but as a as a bigger group than your uh maybe your table and uh here's what we'll do uh, if you have something to say what we'll do is we'll uh talk about it as a big group so maybe someone at your table said something good and you should pressure them and say you should say something or maybe you could say that for them uh stand up get, there's mics going around so get the attention of the mic holders these uh uh dudes right here and then and then tell us how not to read the Bible. Make sense? Those are the rules. All right. I think, do you guys have something? There's like a whole table has something to say. That's great. Stand up if you don't mind. Um, so we talked about not just thumbing through your Bible. Yeah. We had a verse like Judas went and hung himself. And then flipping through it again and seeing joy to the same. That's not a good way to go. Have you heard that joke before? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good joke. Um, Yes, good. That's called, there's a movie out. I won't even say the name because some of you will go watch it and it's not a good movie. But they refer to, it's called Bible dipping. And so that's when you're like, what passage should I read, God? And you're like closing your eyes and you're like, oh, right here. And you're looking at it like, oh, this is so good. Jesus and the woman at the well. And you start reading it and then you're like, oh, maybe I need to uh, go meet someone by a well. Well, we don't have wells. Maybe I'll just go sit by a water fountain and uh, wait for someone of the opposite sex to come by. Uh, that's what this passage is telling me. It, it, that's, that's ridiculous. That's silly. That's what you're referring to. Don't do that is what you're saying. No, no, ISO, Jesus. no ISO Jesus. Man, you're so smart. All right. Good. Thank you. And yeah, read it in the context. That's good. What else do we have? Anybody? Yes, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, that's good. Just sort of the same kind of thing. This, this same, the, the same idea that Bruce said, this idea of, of just thumbing through your Bible and just finding one little verse and saying, oh, this is my verse. I'm going to do this, whatever it says. And so you flip open, it says, I've cried out to you. Oh, I, I must have to cry. Oh, God, I'm crying. 
It's, the, the Bible isn't uh, like a tarot card of, of how to, it's a spiritual book. It's a God-given book, and he gave us heads to read it. And, and we know, we have to know the context of when it was written and pull the spiritual truth out of it. Would you like to hear a quick story? And then we'll take a few more comments. Um, I had a friend that uh, went to a pretty extreme, he makes fun of himself. He realizes it was a silly thing to do. But there's 66 books of the Bible, right? There's, in a deck of cards, there are 55 cards, so he got the difference, 14 cards, like 14 jokers and a few extra cards from other decks, and then he had all these cards, and then he labeled every book of the Bible after a card, so like Genesis was like the ace of spades, and then uh, Exodus was the ace of kings, or whatever, I forget how he did it, and then he'd flip through that deck of cards, throw out a card, and be like, okay, ace of spades, Genesis, and then he had like a bunch of dice from like playing Dungeons and Dragons, and all the little like eight-sided dice, and 25-sided dice, and so like Genesis has 50 passages, 50 chapters, he would flip the coin, and like, okay, heads, first 25, and then he'd roll his 25-sided die, and find out the chapter he was supposed to read that day, it's just a little silly. It's, it's not the way, it, the Bible isn't like a tarot card, a spiritual sayings and wisdom being bestowed upon us. It's books, it's letters, it's stories. And I think, and, and remember like last week I, I said this, and this might have surprised you, that, that the original authors didn't write it down with the verses and the chapter markings. Those were something that were added in the Middle Ages, in the 1200s, in the 1300s, chapters were added to the writings of the Bible. So, I mean, it's something that's kind of new to us. So, read it in context. Very good. Okay, let's, I think there's a few more comments. Go ahead, yes. A bad way to read the Bible is to start in Genesis and go through Revelation. Just read it as fast as you possibly can. Just read it as fast as you possibly can. Genesis to Revelation. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really hard way to do it. I've done that before, and it's a really, Genesis is a really good book. Um, but if you're starting off with reading the Bible, it may not be the best place to start. It's not the easiest book to read. Would, would some of you agree with that statement? I mean, it's not wrong to read it, Genesis to Revelation, but reading it as fast as you can, I understand the point. Very good. Thank you. Yes, Mr. Ben. Taking everything literally. <laughs> Taking everything literally. Yeah, I mean, obviously, women shouldn't speak in church. That's a good one. I'm just kidding. I'm glad the ladies are smiling and laughing. It says that in here, but there's context. I think next week, if, if you hold on for just a second, next week we're going to talk about, we're going to do exegesis. Today we're going to talk about it. Next week we're going to do it. And there's passages in the Bible that need historical, exegetical, hermeneutical context for today. There is a passage that said women must be silent in the church. Is that true for today? Is that the way God wants things today? I would say no. I would say in that context, we'll get to that, but uh, and the Bible needs context. It needs historical context. It needs the context of other scriptures. Very good. Yes, ma'am. Um, when you kind of talk about James is um, not interpreting scripture so as to confuse the like, I still think this is a poor Well, I really want to do this, so I really want this. And God, you make scripture confirm it and then go to something that says... It's like, oh, yes, I found it. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. In fact, that's, uh, I think the, both mics are up. That'll be the last comment because that's what I want to talk about. There's a big word called, it's not that big of a word. It's called, maybe you've heard it before. It's called proof texting. Do you see that in your notes? And next to it, it says a big mistake. And that's what proof texting means. Proof texting is, is making the Bible say what you want 
it to say. And so here's a, here's a funny book. Uh, now, it's, it's rare that Christians do anything to embarrass themselves. <laughs> Just kidding. We do it all the time. There's, there was a book that in 1988, and we can make fun of it now because it was like, how many years ago? 20 years ago? Is it really 20 years ago? 88? That's a long time ago. Uh, re- 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. For those of you that don't know, rapture is when all the Christians just disappear. Uh, if you haven't seen the Left Behind series, you should go see it. That's another uh, fun thing to do. Uh, <clears throat> 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. Did, was the rapture in 1988? <laughs> nah, not really. <laughs> and, and so it didn't happen. And, and by the way, just as a kind of a, another embarrassing thing, is that the author of this book, after 1988 came and went, he wrote another book called... <laughs> 89 reasons why the rapture will be in 1989. And I just imagine him like coming up with like, like finding like 87 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988 and just being like, oh man, we need one more reason. We got to have it. And so, and so you're just like running through the Bible. It's like, how can I find something? How can I twist something in here to make it as some sort of an evidence as to why Jesus will return in 1988? Maybe there's some, uh, uh, maybe there's something to do with like 1,000 988 things, and like those things can be, I mean, you're just kind of going in and you're saying, okay, I have this idea, let's prove it in Scripture. It's a very, it's a very dangerous thing to do. It's a very, it's a very um, sometimes easy thing to do. I was teaching a class uh, last year, actually, with uh, 24-7 students. Anybody in here, 24, ex-24-7 students? Uh, last year, I taught this class uh, for them called hermeneutics, which, of course, means what? What's the Bible mean? And so it's a whole course about how to interpret, apply, understand the Bible, kind of like what we're doing all this month, only theirs was a course over the year. And one of the things we did as an exercise, as a group exercise, is I I read out some statements. I had five statements, and then I had them get into groups and pick one of these statements, and then they would have to prove that this statement is true in the Bible. And the statements were really hard. The statements were things that they probably disagreed with. But their, but their little group activity was to prove that this is true in the Bible and then stand up and make a case for it. And here's some of the things that they had to do. Some of them, ha- one of the things was uh, a statement, abortion is okay. Human slavery is okay. We have to live in community, all in the same house, in order to be saved. Uh, Number four was, everyone is saved no matter what, universalism. Uh, Number five is, there's a purgatory with second chances. And so they they had to take the statement that they probably disagreed with, and they had to go into the Bible and kind of find things out of context and kind of twist things and say, okay, how can I possibly come about this and make an argument saying a scripture and come about this and make that this thing that I disagree with, true in the Bible. Do you understand what they had to do? It was, it was a crazy assignment because they actually did a pretty good job of, of twisting scriptures, of proof-texting scriptures. And so the big point, proof-texting, is a big mistake because we need the Bible to inform us, not for us to inform ourselves with, with pulling passages and things out of context. Does that make sense? You're like, <laughs> I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an easy thing to do. We can, we can have this idea in our heads that, okay, God is like this. 
Like, for instance, maybe this is a better example, more true example. You have this idea that, oh, God is good. He would never send anybody to hell. Have you heard someone say that before? He's like, oh, God is so nice. He's loving. He couldn't send anyone to hell. So you go into the Bible and you just, all you do is highlight all the, the verses about God's goodness and God's so loving and he's so nice. And you totally either cut out or you just reject the verses about judgment and consequences and God's holiness and God's righteousness. That's probably a much better example. So in order to not do that, in order to not proof text, we have to let the Bible inform us. We have to read it, do exegesis. What does this passage say? And then we have to do hermeneutics. Okay, what does it mean? And to, and to understand what it means, sometimes we have to go into the context of the culture. Sometimes we have to go into the context of uh, when the book was written, who the book was written to, and things like that. So right now we're going to talk about the tools. Does anybody like tools out there? All the guys are like, yes, I'm a man. I like tools. <laughs> I kind of like tools too. I still own my, uh, my very first car that I ever have uh, that I bought right out of high school. I bought a 1990 Ford Escort. It's a sweet ride. Uh, whew, it's fast. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's still my very first car, which, which some, some of you are like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But I'm 30 years old and still have my first car, so it's kind of a big deal. And I've learned uh, in the last, let's see, in the last 50, 16 years of me owning that car, I have uh, fixed a lot of things that have gone wrong. I've fixed it, like I've retimed the engine, I fixed the starter, I fixed the alternator. I just named that for fuel pump, uh, recompressed the AC, all this cool stuff that I do, and I've, I've picked up tools along the way. And after I bought the car in 1998, uh, my car broke down and it was the starter. And so I had to fix my starter. And to get the starter out, I had to use some of my dad's tools. My dad's got some tools, but just not a ton of tools. And so to get the starter out, I had to use like things that like non-ratcheting wrenches and uh, just tools that weren't just not the best tools around. And so I had to use this tool. It took me two hours to get the starter out of the engine. And so that's, a, that's a long time. It's, it's, I guess, okay if you're just an average mechanic like myself, home mechanic. But it took me two hours. My car broke down on, let's see, what's today? My car broke down on Tuesday at REI. Guess what the problem was? starter. Ten years later, the starter goes out. And uh, this time, I brought it to my house, and I have all these sweet tools. I have an air compressor with like, like all these little like cool tools, and Erica just gets ticked because the whole shed's full of tools. I have all these sweet tools, though. And you know how long it took me to get the starter out of my car after having done it ten years ago, and now having all the sweet new tools? Fifteen minutes to get my starter out of the engine. I felt like such a man because I had the the right tools, and I was like making noise, like zoo, zoo, and just like taking bolts off and like eating them and spitting, and it was fun. Uh, <laughs> but having the right tools helps you do a good job, right? Tools are important for the job. Maybe, I mean, I got the starter out with the wrong, kind of the wrong tools back in 1998, uh, but having the right tools, having really good tools is a big help to you. And so I want to go over a couple tools that we have to read the Bible, because if you've picked up the Bible before and you started reading and you started getting confused and you started realizing how big of a book this is and just how the wording is different than how you would have talked and just how it's confusing to you, you're not the first person in history to say that. You're not the first person to be confused by the Bible. And people that have gone before us have made tools, have studied the Bible, have put things together in such a way that they could be tools to us. 
as we read. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, uh, I have the, uh, the MVP tools, the most valuable player tools, or MVT, most valuable tools. Um, and the, these, if you just want to make a list of these, I, I, I rarely read anything, including the Bible, without these MVTs, these most valuable tools. Are you ready? Most valuable tools. Pen, highlighter, notebook. Those to me are the most valuable tools for how to do exegesis. What is this passage saying? And then hermeneutics. How do I apply this to my life? And here's what I do with my pen. I underline things. I write things all in the margins of my Bible. Um, I joke around that I've written on every single page. And, and someone will be like, no, you haven't. Let me see that. And they'll look through and like, well, what about this page? You haven't written on this page. And then I'll say, oh, yes, I have. Turn to the side. And on the side here, I have, I've written on every page and highlighted. Just so I could say I've written and highlighted on every single page. Uh, and so I'll always do that. Even if I'm reading, like if I'm reading a textbook, I learned a long time ago in high school that if, that, that, that my reading way, I think everyone just reads better, understands things better. If they write something down, if they read a, a paragraph and then say, oh, the big point is this and write that in the margin. And I'm a big fan, by the way, of writing in the Bible. If the only Bible you own is, a, is an important Bible to you that maybe your grandma gave you or something, uh, keep that Bible, keep that as somewhere nice. But, but use and study a Bible that you could write in. That, that's just my tip for you. You don't have to do that, but I think it helps a lot. So I highlight things. I bought a uh, Bible highlighting kit um, <laughs> from the Christian bookstore. All it is is four highlighters in a package, and I paid $9.99 for this. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the reason this... Bible highlighting kit is so cool is because it is a uh, dry erase uh, markers. And so I, I used to just highlight with a regular highlighter and I realized that it bled through the pages. And I was like, man, I didn't want to highlight that on the opposite page. I wanted to highlight this and I get so ticked. And, uh, and so I, I got this Bible highlighting kit. Uh, it's probably, you could probably find it cheaper than $10. And anyways, so pen, highlighter, in my notebook. And I always read with a notebook, especially the Bible, and I'll, and I'll journal about it or I'll just write things down that, that can't fit in the margins. And uh, I was going to stack it up, but I kept on falling over. These are, the, these are my notebooks from the last 10 years uh, of journaling and stuff. I'm going to try to stack it. It's a lot of stuff, but I've, I've been a Christian a long time. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> if it falls over, don't laugh. Oh, man. Yeah, so those are my... I started journaling in like 1998. And uh, I just like... To me, it's like, I want to know the scripture. I want to mine this book in such a way that it applies to me. And I understand it. And for me, something that's very helpful, and I do this for school as well, is I, I, I always have a notebook and I write things down and I jot them down. And if you were to look at some of my notebooks, which don't do it. I mean, it's my notebook. It's my journal. Why would you read my journal? But if, if you did, you, you'd realize that it's just, a lot of it is jargon and um, hard to read and chicken scratches because that's just the way I do it. I'm not a perfectionist, but uh, I like journaling. So those are the MVTs. Do you get them? So I would never read the Bible. I mean, I mean, it would be a horrible thing if you read the Bible without a pen or a, a highlighter or a notebook. It'd just be wrong. <laughs> I'm joking, but only half joking because I would never do it. Um, so that's just how I do it. I, stu- I study the Bible with those MVTs, those most valuable tools. And then I'm going to talk about two other tools. I got 15 minutes left, and I'm going to talk about um, 
a commentaries and concordances. And a concordance, how many of you know what a concordance is? Quite a few of you. It's, it's, it's definitely, it's not like the most valuable tool, like your pen, highlighter, and notebook, but it's a pretty important tool. It is, uh, I have this one up here. It's really old. I got it from a thrift store a long time ago. This is Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. Have you seen this before? It's called Exhaustive because you get exhausted just carrying it. That's so heavy. I'm going to be strong someday just toting this thing around. And here's what a concordance is. Here's what's so cool about it. Here's, it's almost magical how this thing works. Because some of you will, will text me or call me or email me and be like, Joe, where's that passage that's in the, it's in the Bible. It says something like, uh, it says something like this. Where's that at? And then I will respond to you with the answer. And you'll think I'm a genius. You'll think that I just have all these passages memorized. I'm like, oh, well, clearly that's in Second Corinthians 2, 4. Uh, obviously, that's uh, John 5, 5. Uh, and the, the, you'll think I just have all these passages memorized. I don't have all these passages memorized. I have a concordance. And like somebody texted me in the middle of the night the other night. It was actually a couple weeks ago. I don't want to exaggerate. Woke me up, though. But I go to sleep early, so it was probably like 9.30. And uh, texted me in the middle of the night saying, where's that passage in the Bible about jars of clay? And the, the Jars of Clay is a Christian band, pretty good. But there's a passage in the Bible that they name themselves after about we do not hold these treasures, uh, we hold these treasures in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing powers from God and not from us. And, and so I, I, on my phone, I actually have a concordance. On my phone, uh, it's a, like a Palm Pilot little PDA thing. I have the Bible on here, and then I have a little spot in here where I could type in a word, and it'll show me all the occurrences in the Bible of that word. So I typed in jars, and it came up with uh, whatever the passage just 2 Corinthians 4 or something. Anyways, and so I texted him back in the middle of the night at 9.30 or whatever. <laughs> and he was like, oh man, thanks, Joe, you're the best. And I was like, yes, I am the best because I have a concordance. And it's, it's almost magic how this works. And so if, you ever, if you've ever wanted to know where Bible passages are, you should get a book like this, A Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. And let me tell you a little bit of history about this book. There was a dude named Strong. His first name was James, Dr. James Strong, lived in the 1800s. He was a professor of a college, and he put this book together for the first time. And he did so without a computer. And he did so without even a typewriter because typewriters weren't main, mainly, they were already invented, but they weren't mainstream by then in the 1800s. And he put it together by hand. This book, and what this book is, is every single word in the Bible put into uh, an order of where it is. And so you can look up any word you want. You can look up the word, like when I was, when I first learned about the gift of tongues, I was like, what in the world? I just don't understand it. I want to know more. So I looked up the word tongues in a concordance like this. And, uh, and there's about like a hundred occurrences of the word tongue in the Bible. And I read every single one. And then I looked up, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I looked up the word baptism. There's about, there's probably like 300 times or a hundred times. I don't know exactly how many times the word baptism is in the Bible, but it'll show every Every single occurrence of that word. And so you could do word studies. And a guy named James Strong, back in the 1800s, put together this book, which is pretty sweet. Don't you want one? 
yes, you do. I know you do. But uh, you don't have to have an actual book like this in order to look up Bible verses. There's a sweet thing in the world called the Internet. And, uh, or even computer programs will have this on there. And you could just type in a word, hit enter, and then it'll pop out the answer of where the passage is. For instance, my favorite. In fact, I never... I mean, I very rarely ever go to a book anymore for my concordance. I go to BibleGateway.com, which I think, do we have the picture of BibleGateway.com? In case you've never been to a website before. You're like, I don't, what's a website? It's the, the World Wide Web. The BibleGateway, is it .com? Yeah, that's what I just said. BibleGateway.com. You go to this site, and then you could, you could uh, type in a word like, tongues, or you could type in love, or you could type in uh, jars, or you could type any word you want. And, and then you could, you could choose your own version if you want the NIV, New International Version, if you want the King James Version. It even has the message on there. And then you put the word in, you hit enter, and then bam! It pops up the answer of where, those, where that word is located in the Bible. Every single time that word is in the Bible, um, it'll pop up the answer too. And, and so the word, this is Strong's exhaustive concordance because it literally has every single word. And so if you wanted to be like cool, you're like, man, I really want to study the word the in all its uses in the Bible. You could look at the word the and find out every single time the word the is in the Bible. You're like, man, I just did this great word study on the word the. <laughs> it was awesome. It's taken me all year, but it was great. Um, so that's why it's an exhaustive concordance of the Bible. And just for you that are, are like Bible uh, on a uh, different plane of your Bible study, and maybe you've been a Christian a long time, and you're like, man, I've always heard people doing studies on Greek and Hebrew words, and, and they've heard of something called, raise your hand if you've heard of something called the Strong's number of a word. A Strong's concordance is really cool because because you don't have to know Greek and Hebrew in order to do word studies. You can just look at the word, like, uh, let's just say we went to the word tongue, and then it'll show you all the different Greek words in the New Testament or Hebrew words in the Old Testament of what that word is. It'll, it'll categorize it with a number, and numbers are much easier to look up than, like, Greek words, if you do, especially if you don't know the difference between, like, a, a lambda and a delta. Which one comes first? How do I look up this word? Who knows? But it's, it's numbered. Every Greek word is numbered, and then you could go to the back of the book, and you could look up that Greek word. You could see it. You could see its definition. Then you could see all the other passages where that exact Greek word is used. And so, if you're like, man, this stuff is sweet. I want to get into studying Greek and Hebrew. A Strong's Concordance might be your best friend. It might be a really good way to start a Greek and a Hebrew study of a word. This, my friends, is a concordance. A round of applause for concordances. I just can't imagine being James Strong saying, man, I'm going to, all right, here we are in Genesis, in, all right, in the beginning. So in, I-N. Let's, let's find out how many times the word in is in the Bible. Let's count them. Let's categorize them. It would take a special person to do that. <laughs> Round of applause for James Strong. All right, uh, okay, we just got a few more minutes left to talk about commentaries. And commentaries are, uh, it's, it's, it's really just someone's comments 
on the Bible, commentary, someone's comments on the Bible. And um, you might be reading, let's say you go home today and you're like, okay, I'm going to do what Joe said. I'm going to start in the book of John and I'm going to start reading the book of John because Joe said that that's a a good book to start off with. And that's, that's an easy book to start off with. And it's a story about Jesus and it is in story form. So it's easier to read than some other books. And it says this, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And you just sit there looking at it saying, Okay, let me do my exegesis. What is this saying? And you're like, I have no idea what this is saying. What is the word? What in the world is the word? Why is the word in the beginning? What is this saying? And I would always suggest to, it's okay to struggle with that a little bit. It's okay to ask God to help you understand that. It's okay to say, God, would you help me understand what this passage is saying, what it means, what it should mean to me. God, reveal this passage to me. And then if you're, if you're still confused and you're still like, I've, I've read it, I've reread it, I, I just don't understand what it says or what, what's this deal with the word, then a commentary is probably a really good place to go. A commentary is someone's comments on the Bible, someone that's gone before you and has already studied the passage and will bring out good things like, oh, this passage meant this, or this Greek word can also mean this, or back in the culture of the time, uh, this was very popular. And so, oh, that's make, that makes sense now. And so commentaries come in different forms. I have a study Bible. Anybody else have a study Bible? Yes, 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 yes. I love study Bibles. Last week's quote um, on the back of the skillet, we always have a sweet quote of the day. And last week, my quote was, the best tool for studying the Bible is a study Bible. Joe Kirkendall. I put my middle initial too, because you you always sound smarter if you're like Joe P. Kirkendall. And so I wanted to sound smart and give you a quote of my own. So I did that. The best tool for studying the Bible is a study Bible, which which isn't. I would say it's a pen, a highlighter, and a notebook. So anyways, the study Bible is a really cool Bible because what it has on it, on the pages, are someone's comments on the Bible, someone's commentary on the Bible, or facts, or pieces of information that make it easier to understand what you're reading. So you could have a study Bible and its commentary alongside of the Bible, or you can go out and buy a one-volume commentary like this. This is a new Bible commentary. I told uh, the people at New Life Church Bookstore that I'd be talking about the new Bible commentary today, so they might have a surge of sales of new Bible commentaries today. So they, they uh, hopefully they should be stocked up and they, they should have enough. If today you wanted to go, it's like 30 bucks, so you might not have 30 bucks on you, but that's cool. You could borrow mine sometime if you want. It's called the New Bible Commentary, and this is a commentary in the whole Bible. And you're like, why do we need this book to understand this book? Because this book isn't written to you. It's written for you. And this book is written to you. And so here's how, here's how you might go about it. You come to a passage and say, okay, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that mean? What's this deal with the Word? And so you'd go in here, and this book, a commentary, a one-volume commentary, you'd go to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, which it goes it's verse by verse, and you just look at it, and you'd read what someone has to say, someone's comments about the Bible on that passage, and they might tell you that, oh, the Greek word for word is logos, and logos is like all knowledge and all mysteries and, you know, the, the essence of knowing. And so this passage is really about, in the beginning was the essence of knowing and all wisdom. And that essence and knowing and wisdom was with God and the word was God. And then First John is going to say that that word came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And that word was God himself. And like, oh man, that makes a lot of sense. 
sense now. That is gold. I have just mined gold. Yes. And so that's what a commentary is. Uh, you, could, you could get them in, in this, your study Bible has comments, your, a new Bible commentary, a one-volume commentary. <laughs> thought somebody was throwing a book at me. <clears throat> For those of you listening on podcasts, you're probably wondering why we're all laughing. It's one of those things where you just had to be there. Uh, anyways, uh, so commentaries, this is a one volume commentary. And if you look to the, to the left of the, of the notebooks that just fell, you will see uh, a string of blue books. And those blue books are, um, uh, a set of commentaries, a whole bunch of commentaries on every book of the Bible. So like Genesis has its own little book. Uh, some of the smaller books are paired together and come in one volume. But uh, all those books make up the books of the Bible. And you might be, and I remember the first time I saw on a shelf uh, a volume of commentaries like that. And I was like, why in the world do we need all that in order to study this? And I think that same reason applies because this book, the Bible, is written for us, and it's treasure, and it's gold in here, spiritual gold. But, but why do we need that in order to study this? And it's because the Bible isn't written to us, but it's written for us. And those books, those commentaries, are written to us. And so they'll, they'll be someone's comments about the passages. They'll shed light. They'll help us mine the Bible. They'll be tools to us that make it a lot easier to study the Bible. You don't just have to sit there and say, man, this is really confusing. I don't understand it. Let's text Joe in the middle of the night. I'm sure he's up. It's only 830. <laughs> I'm not. I go to sleep early. I'm just like sleep at like eight or seven. My wife's like, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, it's because I get up early. It's because that's it's a good thing to get up early, right? Anybody else like to get up early? Yeah, just watch the sunrise, go fishing. You know, fun stuff like that. Anyways, uh, so those are commentaries. And just one word about commentaries is that they are just just someone else's and that someone else may be an expert in their field but they are uh it is just someone else's comments on the bible this is the word of god amen this is the bible the word of god right amen and and so those books help us understand this book the best way to understand this book isn't probably if you come to a confusing passage your first your first thing to do probably shouldn't just to be to run to those big old stack of books in the library or maybe if you own a big old set like that but it's okay to struggle with it it's okay to ask god to help you understand what this is saying and so um those are the tools of bible study and uh and the bible's good hopefully today what you've heard me say is that we need to mine the Bible to get spiritual truth out of the Bible. And uh, the spiritual truth will lead to... Re- the, the Treasure and gold can lead to greed and things that corrupt and rust and people steal on earth. But the treasure in the Bible, the knowledge and the truth of God, will never rot or go away. And so read the Bible. Read the Bible out of a hunger to read the Word. And I hope, I hope you do this week. And, and a lot of you may be starting in, in John and, and that, as your first book of the Bible ever to attempt. And uh, that's really exciting. I'm excited for you. And I'm excited to see what God does in your life and what He shows you. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do come before you and we thank you, God, for, 
for your word to us, your Bible to us, that there is truth, that there is goodness, that there is holiness in this book, and that, God, that you haven't just given us a book saying, you know, figure it out, figure out life, but you've also given us your spirit, your spirit to understand these words. And so, God, would you move your spirit inside of us? Help us to understand you. Use the Bible to help us understand you. Use the spirit that's inside of us to help us understand who you are and how salvation works and how much you love us and how much you've separated us from our past and our sin and how you have a new plan for us and how that plan is in the Bible, how that plan of goodness we can understand because you've given us the word. And so, Jesus, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. And everybody said, amen.